looking at a number of passages of scripture and so I've listed them there for you they're in the middle of your Bible in the book of Isaiah and again at the end of your Bible in the book of Revelation and I'll have most of these scriptures up on the screen Um, but we're going to be looking at the sure hope of justice and these are prophecies of the coming judgment of Satan and his workers and so um, the story My husband um, is recovering at home from surgery. And so we went to Baker Books and got a few books for him to read as he's recuperating. And he started the first book yesterday, and he was in tears within a few minutes. And um, I thought, good, he's going to be hooked, and the guy who has trouble slowing down is going to be able to sit and read. This is going to be a good book. Then later, he's um, reading, and he's like, I just don't know. He goes, I thought I had it figured out. Who was the bad guy? And um, I just, I don't know if it's this character or this character. And he starts to talk about um, the story that he's reading. Well, if you notice that um, stories tend to have a good guy, a strong main character, and then there's often, uh, they call it the antagonist, the one that's against the good guy. Well, where do all these stories actually, why is it that life, we're in every culture is wrestling with the good and the evil, and what is the big story? And we start with the story that is the story. It is the true, true story, the story that all others start to take their um, impressions off of. And actually, it's a story of God and his creation. And so God is the, um, in this story of creation, he is the good and only God. And then there is the story of how this goes wrong. And it made me realize as we ask you to read passages of scripture from Isaiah and Revelation, we've been in the gospels for a long time. And um, if we just pick up in the middle of the story, and we don't go back to the beginning, we can kind of lose the whole big picture, particularly if you're not familiar with the story of God and creation. And so we ask you to read this passage from Isaiah 15, and it talks about Satan's fall and his final future. And so if you want to know the good guy is God, and the evil creature that um, is opposed to God is Satan. And so this is what Isaiah the prophet said. How you have fallen from heaven, morning star, son of the dawn. You have been cast down to the earth. You who once laid low the nations. You said in your heart, I will ascend to the heavens. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mount of assembly and on the utmost heights of Mount Zephyr. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. But you are brought down to the realm of the dead, to the depths of the pit. And so Satan, a created creature, a fallen angel. And so by pride and by thinking that there could be someone equal or above God himself, the consequences of that was that he was cast down. And so in this prophecy, you hear the backstory of Satan who shows up as a crafty creature in Genesis. Um, what happened? Why did he fall? Because of pride and trying to set himself up against God. And then in the um, 
the, ba- the bottom line there, but you are brought down to the realm of the dead, to the depths of the pit. Actually, the prophet switches and is giving you the history, and then he's telling you what's going to be happening in long in advance. And as Pastor Dave spoke last week, prophecies, they could see that there was something coming in the future, but how far is that in the future? And actually, this last line that we ask you to read is what we're going to be talking about when Jesus returned. But this is Satan's fall and his final sure future. Satan fell, and then humanity fell. God created heaven and the earth and all that was in it, and it was very good. And then there was the crafty creature in Genesis 3, and humanity made a choice to go against God, and in that rebellion, that ushered in sin. And Pastor Jaleesa is going to be sharing a sermon on that this evening, and I hope that you'll come back and hear more about humanity's fall. This is from a contemporary testimony, a piece of literature that our denomination has adopted and said this is truthful to the um, scriptures. And so it summarizes it in this way. Although Adam and Eve were expelled from the garden and their days burdened by the weight of sin, the Lord held on to them in love and promised to crush the evil forces they had unleashed. He promised to crush the evil forces that they had unleashed. You see, every every sin that comes up, everything that comes up against God, the wages of sin is death. And so death is the punishment for every time we come up against God and rebel against God. And so not only will people be punished, but these creatures, Satan and his demons, there has to be a payment for sin. The gift of God, of course, is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And you notice Lord. What does that mean? That means someone who rules. And so it doesn't say Christ Jesus, our Savior, which he is our Savior, but he's our Savior. He can't be our Savior unless he's also Lord. So we've been removed from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, and the gift of God is that we can follow him and come into his kingdom and submit to his rulership. This is God's mercy, friends. Jesus' first coming, he ushers in God's kingdom. He triumphs over death. He triumphs over Satan on his work in the cross that we celebrated with communion. And his kingdom has come. Remember, he would say, the kingdom of God is near. So the kingdom comes But he's left us in this state of the kingdom has been ushered in, but it's not in its fullness, in the consummation when he returns. And so for those who submit to his lordship, we are agents of his kingdom now. And if you remember last week, we were taught that we're um, one of our primary roles is to be the royal priesthood, those that would pray, those that would stand before, between creation and the Lord, and we would bring these prayers and petitions, and Jesus taught us to pray. And so I'm going to pull from a couple of um, catechism question and answers. Again, these are documents that our denomination has said, these are faithful to what scripture teaches. And so when we pray, your kingdom come, I'm going to invite you to read this, that that's in white there. What does this mean? Destroy the devil's work. Destroy every force which revolts against you 
and every conspiracy against your word. Do this until the kingdom is so complete and perfect that in it you are all in all. Destroy the devil's work. When we pray your kingdom come, we're praying destroy the devil's work. That word destroy means overthrow, demolish, ruin, devastate, disorganize, overthrow the kingdom of darkness. This is what is needed in order for us to see um, God's kingdom come is this entrenched sin and evil to be disrupted and overthrown. It's, it's quite a strong prayer when we pray your kingdom come. And we remember that the devil's work is primarily to convince us that there is no God or to give us a wrong picture of God or a deceptive picture of life without God that it could be satisfying or fulfilling. So this is Satan's primary thing. He said to um, the humans, he said, did God really say? And so he tries to create that deception and that doubt. Now, this, when we say destroy the devil's work, we're coming against a worldview in our culture that's gone towards enlightenment, that like, if we can't see it and prove it scientifically, we're, we really doubt that it's legit. However, the church through the ages has understood that the demonic and Satan is real. This, um, evil is evil one, is Um, And so the hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. How many of you have ever heard that hymn? Yeah? Probably with the big pipe organ. I think that is the instrument that it should be played on. This world with devil's fields threatens to undo us. But one little word will fail him. And it's the name of Jesus. And so we need this biblical worldview to understand that we are in a battle. And so we pray this, and we, catechism question and answer 127, um, we continue on, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, the evil one, means this. Why don't we read what it means? By ourselves, we are too weak to hold our own even for a moment, and our sworn enemies, the devil, the world, and our own flesh never stop attacking us. Never stop attacking us. When I thought about that, I thought, what do I think about? I think of a woodpecker. Just (laughs) attack, 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 trying to just whittle us down. Um, There's many different pictures that could come, but this idea that the devil and the demons are our sworn enemies, along with this godless culture that's trying constantly to attack us and wear us down. We carry on with the catechism, and so read with me, please. And so, Lord, uphold us and make us strong with the strength of your Holy Spirit so that we may not go down to defeat in this spiritual struggle, but may firmly resist our enemies until we finally win the complete victory. The complete victory. Make us strong by your spirit. And again, this idea of being a tree planted by streams of water. We're putting our roots deep down into God's word, being filled by his spirit, being made strong to be able to resist 
the work of the enemy until Jesus' second coming, when we will see justice. And so the contemporary testimony again reads a little later, our hope for a new creation is not tied to what humans can do, for we believe that one day every challenge to God's rule will be crushed. His kingdom will fully come and the Lord will rule. Come, Lord Jesus, come. We're awaiting fulfillment of scriptures, prophecies that were spoken many, many years, even before Christ was born. And so this prophet Isaiah spoke about 760 years before Christ was born, and he prophesied this from Isaiah 24, 21 and 22. In that day, the Lord will punish the powers in the heavens above and the kings on the earth below. They will be herded together like prisoners bound in a dungeon. They will be shut up in prison and be punished after many years. This is the punishment of the enemies of God, the enemies of Christ. Remember, because Christ came to bring liberation and to bring people out of captivity. But those that resist and continue in rebellion, they will be punished and they will be herded up and shut up in a prison and punished. Also, we look at these pictures awaiting fulfillment. If you read your passages of scripture last week, you know that there were two images that came up. One was a long sword, and the other one was a um, judgment by fire. And so I want to talk about these two prophetic images. The one is the long sword. Isaiah, on the one hand, speaks this prophecy And then we hear this again in the picture of Revelation where John is on the island of Patmos and he's bringing this prophetic vision that the Lord's given him. And so first from Isaiah 26, verse 21, and then carrying over into the very first verse of the next chapter. See, the Lord is coming out of his dwelling to punish the people of the earth for their sins. The earth will disclose the bloodshed on it. The earth will conceal its slain no longer. In that day, the Lord will punish with his sword, his fierce, great, and powerful sword, Leviathan, the gliding serpent, Leviathan, the coiling serpent. He will slay the monster of the sea. And then again, Revelation 19, 20, and 21. But the beast was captured, and with it the false prophet who had performed the signs on its behalf. With these signs, he had deluded those who had received the mark of the beast and worshipped its image. The two of them were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. The rest were killed with the sword coming out of the mouth of the rider on the horse, and all the birds gorged themselves on their flesh. Isaiah, Revelation. Two prophetic words talking about a divine judgment by sword against the kingdom of darkness, Satan, and his accomplices, those that are working in conjunction with him. And so powerful, long, great sword. Now another prophecy awaiting fulfillment is a judgment by fire. Isaiah 29, 6, 
The Lord Almighty will come with thunder and earthquake and great noise with windstorm and the tempest and flames of a devouring fire. We've seen pictures of devouring fires in California. We've heard testimony, have you not, of um, people who escaped that fire and the nightmares they've had about what they experienced in a fire. And so flames of a devouring fire are prophesied in Isaiah and again in Revelation chapter 20, verses 7 through 10. When the thousand years are over, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, and to gather them for battle. In number, they were, they are like the sand on the seashore. They marched across the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of God's people, the city he loves. But fire came down from heaven and devoured them, and the devil who was deceived, who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur, where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown. They will be tormented day and night forever and ever. This picture of a tormenting fire is a reference that the people of that time would have understood to be a reference to a valley outside of Jerusalem where there was a fire that was burning day and night where people who were offering sacrifices to a false god would come with their newborn baby infants and throw them alive into the fire. And the anguish that they would hear of the crying and screaming of the infant as it's being burned alive along with the parents who their most precious thing in the world has just been offered to this false god. And he's saying, the anguish and the pain is going to go on and on and on forever to the one who was the mindset behind this false god. The demons who tempted these people and deceived these people, there will be justice. Satan will be punished. His workers will be punished. The judgment of Satan is about the vindication of the Lord. Some of us may read this and go, I don't really like reading about this. Why does this really apply to me? And I want to say, just like the song said, lift up your eyes, lift up your eyes, look to him. Because this story, he's the main character. And his honor and his holiness have been rebelled against and there will be judgment and so this is about the vindication of showing god is god and at one time when jesus returns every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that jesus alone is lord the accuracy of the prophet isaiah he prophesied about the fall of babylon And I can't get into all the details of this with you, although it's rich. But Babylon was a fortified city that had two walls and had dirt filled between these two walls so that it was like 52 feet thick wall of fortification around the city. That city stands for a godless culture. All right? Isaiah years before, 150 years before, gave the name of who was going to come and conquer 
this unconquerable city. And it came to be. 760 years before Jesus was born, he said that a virgin is going to conceive a son and he's going to be born and his name is going to be called Emmanuel. And it happened just as Isaiah said. And Isaiah has said thousands of years before that Satan is going to face this sword and this fiery, eternal anguish. The prophet Isaiah was a reputable prophet. And we see established by these confirming images of years before Jesus and then after Jesus with John that there's these same images of the sword and the same images of the fire. These are different people, hundreds of years apart, that the Holy Spirit is giving these words to and saying, this is what's going to happen. There's a confirming witness through all of scripture. It's what's such a beautiful thing about this book. This book is written by many authors, but inspired under the same Holy Spirit. And as we look at it, we are confident that and sure that there will be justice someday. The Catechism 52 asks this question, how does Christ return to judge the living and the dead comfort you? And so again, I invite you to read along. In all my distress and persecution, I turn my eyes to the heavens and confidently await as judge the very one who has already stood trial in my place before God and so removed the whole curse from me. All his enemies and mine, he will condemn to everlasting punishment. But me and all his chosen ones, he will take along with him into the joy and the glory of heaven. Again, remember, it's only because of his mercy that we can be saved and not face the same death that we're all, we're all guilty. But Jesus died for us. All his enemies and mine will be condemned. I think this is where it gets personal. And I think this is where I think if I could just take a moment to say, we are told to love our enemies and to forgive our enemies. And so how is it, again, that we could talk about all his enemies and mine will be condemned? If you listen to news when someone has had maybe um, a child that's abducted and then they show up and they're dead. And then it's maybe a cold case, but you're longing for justice. The family does not forget that they've had this injustice happen and they're longing for justice. And then perhaps they find somebody that they think is the one that did it. And one of the questions that's on everybody's mind, are they repentant? Like, are, are, do they feel remorse? I mean, that's something that the, the jury is listening for. Are they admitting it? And are, is there remorse? Well, we want to see justice done. And if they, there is remorse and forgiveness is offered. I've been thinking about this because we take people off when we forgive them. We take them off our hook and we say, we put them on God's hook. 
All right? And so God will bring justice. And so if they repent and they ask for forgiveness of sins and they believe in Jesus Christ, their sins are forgiven. And in some ways, that still makes me feel a little like, uh, but where's the justice? And as I think about it and as I thought about it, here's the justice, is that the demons that tempted the people to do these acts of violence or whatever it is, the sin, they're not getting off the hook. God is going to bring justice because Satan and demons and the evil workers will be judged. What does this mean for you and what does this mean for me? Pastor Dave talked about how the, this world with brokenness and human trafficking and racism and sexism and all the things, uh, genocide, all these things. There is evil. There is the devil and the demons that are tempting and hammering away night and day to try to make our culture do things that dishonor God's creation and his creatures. And there will be justice because remember, God so loved the world and God so loved creation that he said it was very, very good when Adam and Eve were in creation. And it's his love for the world that he will bring to justice Satan and his workers that have... um, brought about such destruction, such heartache, such pain. And so we continue to pray, let your kingdom come. We serve as as kingdom agents to show the love and the grace of God. We continue to act as priests, and we do this very confident and sure that justice will come. His kingdom will fully come And the Lord will rule. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. We thank you for your mercy. And we thank you that you're a God of justice. Lord, I pray with my brothers and sisters that you would come soon, that you would come quickly. And that you would bring your justice on earth because we can only imagine what life would be like without any hammering of injustice. Lord, we can only imagine and we read in the end of your book of Revelation and what a blessing it is to get a glimpse of life without sin, without pain, without tears. And Lord, we long for that day. And we thank you that you have the whole world in your hands and that you hold the future in your hands and that you hold us in this place in your loving, secure hands. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.